Life is filled with evil. Evil is all around us. You can look at the headlines and you see stories of all types of tragic events, killings, robberies, physical abuse, emotional abuse, broken relationships, all sorts of evil. We live in a world where we're going to see increased persecution because of our faith. I strongly believe that. We're going to be called haters because of a biblical worldview that we hold when we speak truth, even in love. And we as followers of Jesus Christ need to understand what is the biblical response when someone is evil to us. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is a story about Joseph. Joseph was the oldest son from his wife Rachel. And he was a favored son by all accounts. In fact, Israel made him a multicolored coat and gave it to him. He kept him close at home and for his protection. And the brothers of Joseph were jealous of him. Joseph even had a few dreams and he shared those with his brothers indicating that one day they would bow down to him. And they said, certainly we will never bow down to you. Are you crazy? Now that's a paraphrase. But that's basically what they meant. One day, uh, Israel sent Joseph out into the fields to check on his brothers who were tending the flocks uh, far from home. And as they saw him coming in the distance, they plotted to get rid of him because of their jealousy and all. And so the first thing they did was they threw him down into a pit. And then they took his multicolored coat after selling Joseph uh, to a band of Midianites that came by where he was taken into Egypt and sold into slavery. They killed a goat, took that multicolored coat, soaked it in the blood, shredded it up, and took it home to their father as if they had found it on the way. Certainly Israel thought that his favorite son Joseph was dead. But when Joseph got to Israel, he was sold to a a prominent man named Potiphar. And Potiphar recognized that God's hand was upon him and he put him in charge of his household. Uh, But there was a problem. Potiphar had a wife that was interested in Joseph. And she continued to try to lure him into relations with her. Joseph continued to avoid her attempts at this. Until ultimately she falsely accused him. And Joseph was thrown into jail. 
while he was in jail, the jailkeeper recognized that God's hand was upon him, and he made him, he put him in charge there uh, in, in prison. And one day, two of Pharaoh's servants were brought to jail, the cupbearer and the chief cook. Both of these men had dreams while they were in jail. And Joseph, by the help of God, interpreted the dreams for them, saying that the cupbearer is going to be returned to his place of service and the cook is going to be killed. It came to be just as Joseph predicted, as he interpreted the dream. And he simply told the cupbearer, when you are reinstated to your position, remember me before the Pharaoh. Well, that dude, he never thought about Joseph again for a long, long time. And so Joseph was there in prison. But then the Pharaoh had a dream. He dreamed that there were seven fat cows that came up out of the river. And then following them, there were seven thin cows that came out of the river. And the thin cows ate the fat cows, but they didn't look any different. They were still very thin. Pharaoh was unable to have any of his uh, people to interpret that dream. And he became frustrated. Then the cupbearer remembered Joseph. And so Joseph was cleaned up and he was brought before Pharaoh and he interpreted his dreams. He said this dream means that there are going to be seven good years, seven years where that there would be plenty of food in the land. And it will be followed by seven years of drought where there's no food in the land. I recommend that you put someone in charge of the agricultural around here and begin to store up during the seven good years so that you'll have food during the seven thin years. Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph that he put him in charge. He says, you're the one that'll do that. So Pharaoh, I mean Joseph, became the second in command there in Egypt. The greatest, strongest, most powerful nation in the world at that given time. God had elevated him to that position. And sure enough, just as Joseph had said, there were seven years of of wonderful produce. And and Joseph put food aside. And then there were seven years. The drought came. And the drought was so severe that even the land of Canaan was affected. And... Israel sent his sons to buy food in Egypt. When they came before Joseph, which everyone who came to buy food had to go before Joseph, Joseph recognized who they were, but they did not recognize him. And several trips back and forth of buying grain and several other things that we don't have time to go in today, but ultimately he revealed himself to his brothers, and they were shocked, having thought he was probably dead. But he sent for his father and family. And they came and lived in the land of Egypt. And they were given the best land there in Goshen. And then the nation of Israel began to grow and and reproduce and multiply. Then ultimately Israel died. And the brothers just knew at this point that Joseph was going to get even with them for what they had done to him. And so they came to Joseph and they pleaded with him. And Joseph simply replied, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good to save a multitude of people. A beautiful example of how you can respond to evil with good. 
I want us to look today at the topic of supernaturally responding to evil with good. If you are physically able, I'd like for you to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 14. <coughs> Excuse me. Still hear the pages turning good. Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your great love for us. Uh, We come this morning with grateful hearts. Uh, We come with humble spirits because of who you are and what you've done in our life to uh, accomplish through Jesus Christ, your son, and his shed blood on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, our reconciliation to you. Lord, we thank you for your word, which so vividly teaches us and instructs us and guides us through life. And I pray today that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts Uh, that he will convict us of the needs that we have uh, to uh, continue to grow spiritually and the things that we need to deal with in our lives, that you might be honored and glorified in it. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it all. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Sitting in this room today, there are many of you that are struggling with pain, with hurt, with disappointment. Some of you have been betrayed. Some of you have been physically abused. Some of you have been emotionally abused. Some of you have been criticized. Some have been ridiculed. Most all of us in some way or another have we've been wounded. And when it comes to being wounded, we need to understand what is our biblical response to those who wounded us. So I want us to look from this passage today that we've read, a biblical response, in order that we might learn in Christ to supernaturally respond to evil with good. That word supernaturally in the title is extremely important because the only way that we can respond to those who are evil to us in a godly, loving, caring, compassionate way is by a supernatural intervention of Christ in our life. It's only as we are well connected to Him in an intimate personal relationship 
that we can do what we're going to talk about today. And so we want to look at that biblical response. The first thing that I see there in verses 14 through 16, he says, bless those who persecute you. Now, I don't know about you, but my first inclination to those who persecute me is not to bless them. I'd rather just get even. In fact, sometimes I say, uh, jokingly say, I don't get angry, I get even. The reality of it is there's a, there's a hint of truth in that saying when we jokingly say it. We may not appear to be offended or hurt on the outside, but somewhere deep inside we truly are, and, and we'd really like to get even. But God says to bless those who persecute you. What does it mean to bless someone? To bless someone is to wish someone well, to desire God's favor and blessing upon their life. Now when someone criticizes you, don't you just want to bless them? what God says do when someone disappoints you do you really want to bless them that's the task we've been given when someone doesn't live up to our expectations he says bless them bless those who persecute you so we want to desire God's favor and blessing upon their life even when they're evil to us What does it mean to curse someone? He says, bless them and do not curse. So what does it mean to curse someone? It means to pray against, to call down doom, to wish for their disaster, failure, and misfortune. Now, we can identify with that, can't we? We've all been there at some point in time, probably. I won't speak for all of you. But I know there have been times in my life I really would like to see someone taken down. And most of the time, I'd like the personal privilege of doing it myself. But that's sin. That's ungodly. God says, bless those who persecute you. And do not curse. So if we're going to bless them, we need to understand, how do we bless them? It begins with forgiveness. I've put this process of forgiveness in our Connect material several times, I think. The reality of it is there are about 331 people that show up here every Sunday for worship that are not in a Connect group, and so uh, many of you will hear it for the first time. But let me put in a plug for Connect group right in the midst of all of this because it's a great place to continue to study and engage God's Word and and build a network of friends for mutual encouragement, mutual accountability, and to serve together and uh, to make disciples. And let me just challenge you and encourage you to, to get involved in a connect group. And it'll be a blessing to you. So, let's talk a little bit about forgiveness. What does it really mean to forgive? Forgiveness, we need to understand, is a process. It's not something that just automatically happens because we're believers. But it's a process. The first 
step in the process is, we'll use the word forgive. What that means is that I choose to forgive the one who has offended me. By an act of my volition, I choose to forgive. Now, I'll be perfectly honest with you. At that point in the process, my emotions are saying, you must be stupid. I taught my children not to say that. I didn't mean to. So some of you parents, I may be in trouble. But that's what my emotions are saying. There's no way in the world you'll ever forgive that person for what they've done to you. My emotions are raw. The pain is real. The disappointment, the discouragement, the deception, whatever it may happen to be, is strong. But because of the reality that I serve a risen Savior who said, bless those who persecute you. Because I know that God demonstrated his love to me and that while I was still a sinner, Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sin. You see, he's already shown us how to do it. I choose to obey him, to do the right thing, even though my emotions are telling me the very contrary to it. So I choose to forgive him. And then the second word in that process is forgiving. And that's where God begins to align your emotions up with the choice that you've made over time. Doesn't happen just like that. It may be a week, maybe a month, maybe two years. I don't know. But the key here is prayer. You see, when someone has deeply wounded us, then we need to pray for them. We pray that God would do a work in their life and that He would draw them to Himself and to accomplish in their lives what He desires to accomplish and bless them beyond measure. We begin to, to implement that choice through the actions that we're taking. We desire... God to do good things in their life. Now there's still a tug on our heartstrings that says something different than that. But we're choosing to pray for them and to do and, and to do actions that indicate that we are really in the process of forgiving them. Do something kind for them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Whatever it may look like. And so when you choose to forgive them, you're in the process of forgiving where God is at work to bring your emotions in line with the choice that you've made. They ultimately come to that place of forgiving. Where now you truly desire to see God bless them and use them in a beautiful way. When they're forgiven, you can come to a place of identifying with the pain and the experience of their life. You see, the reality of it is, is that 
People who are far from God are slaves to sin. People who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are slaves to sin. Those believers who are far from God, who are not experienced personal growth, are slaves to sin. And we do sinful things. What brought them to that place? What's going on in their life that there's such angerness, such anger and bitterness? You see, so when they're forgiven, we come to that place of truly identifying with them. And our heartfelt desire is to see God do a work in their heart and life to bless them and draw them into relationship and grow them and help them to experience Him in a way that they've never done before. That's when they're forgiven. And that's what's happening. You know, God's made a, a, a shift in our heart and perspective. So we need, if we're going to bless those who persecute us, then we've got to forgive them. You know, when we look at that story of Joseph, we see that when they came to their brother Joseph and they were afraid that he was going to do something serious to them, maybe even take their life, they pled with him. Joseph's response was, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph, he demonstrated a true faith in God and a recognition that even in the suffering and persecution that he had been through, God had a plan and God was working his plan to accomplish his purposes for his glory and our good. And you and I will never be more like Jesus Christ than when we treat someone with gentleness and kindness and compassion, even when they don't deserve it. I'm reminded of the woman that was caught in adultery, and they brought her to Jesus, and and they said, you know, this woman deserves to be stoned. What do we do? He said, whoever among you is without sin, cast the first stone. And when her accusers departed, He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. You see, when we're willing to forgive and to desire good for those who would persecute us, that's when we're most like Jesus. So the first one is bless those who persecute you. That's the first biblical response. The second part of that biblical response is never repay evil for evil. You go to verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, be peaceable with all. Then never avenge yourself, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So never pay back evil for evil. What we need to understand is that our testimony is more important than our rights. 
You know, we live in a culture today that's it's, it's a me culture. I deserve this. I deserve that. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. You know, I have a certain set of rights, and you don't need to be infringing upon them. I'm here to tell you as a child of God, the only rights that we have is what's been granted to us by Jesus Christ. What you and I deserve is death and hell, separ- eternal separation from God, because we are disobedient sinners who have sinned against an eternally holy, righteous God. But by the grace of God, he's provided a way that we might be reconciled to him. And we don't have to have what we deserve. And we need to have the mind of Christ. We don't have any rights. You know, we're so quick to say, I don't deserve this. We deserve far worse. But by the grace of God, we don't get it. We're all about our rights. But what we need to understand is that in order that I feel better because I retaliated, because I stood up for myself, I told him or her off. I might feel a little, bitter, a little bit better about it myself, but I've just ruined my testimony with them. I've ruined the witness that I might have to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because I'm acting just like they do. Our testimony is more important than our rights. He goes on to say, if possible, we're not to compromise our testimony or the Lord's reputation. As much as it is possible with you, live at peace with all. I, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I act like a knothead sometimes. That's real good for his reputation, isn't it? We need to understand that we are ambassadors. We are representatives of Jesus Christ. You go to 2 Corinthians 5, and he talks about the reality that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, that we are his ambassadors. And a good ambassador represents well for whom they are an ambassador. And when we look like the world and say we're representing Jesus Christ and look nothing like him, we are tarnishing his reputation and our witness. I'm not saying any of this is easy to do because the pain is real. The scars run deep. But I'm saying in Christ, it is possible. And because it's God's word, it is the thing we need to do. So never pay back evil for evil. Because God's got you covered. You don't have to defend yourself. God is already going to do it. God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, it might not be on the timetable that you'd like to see it happen or that I would like to see it happen. But we can be assured that God is in control, He sovereignly reigns, and He will take care of the situation. And anytime we step in and bring vengeance on our behalf, we have done nothing more than usurp the authority that only God has. 
as the one sole judge. You and I are not judge and jury. Only God is. And we don't need to be taking his authority that's not been granted to us. So we're not to pay back evil for evil. When it gets down, you know, besides the idea of of usurping or, or taking the authority that is only God's, if you think about it, if we are to, if it is at all possible with you, live at peace with everyone, do you think that taking vengeance is really a good and effective method of maintaining peace? I can assure you it's not. It's just not a very effective method at all. He used the term heaping burning coals upon his head. To the contrary, in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. You know, this heap burning coals on his head is an ancient Egyptian custom. When a person wanted to demonstrate contrition over the sin that they had committed, they would walk through the streets with a pan of burning coals on their head to indicate their shame over what had been done. And so, excuse me, so what, what he's saying here in this text is that if we will be kind, if we will feed him when he's hungry and, and give him something to drink when he's thirsty, even though he's our enemy, Ultimately, God's going to use that to bring shame into his life for his own anger and bitterness. It's the best chance that he has of ever coming to a proper relationship with God. And so oftentimes we mess it up because we want our rights. Never pay back evil. For evil. Bless those who persecute you. Never pay back evil for evil. Now in Romans 13 it addresses. You know. Civil. And criminal. Matters. I recognize in some cases. That that may come into play. There may be a Romans 12 and a Romans 13 response. But that's for the hands of the court systems and the, and the law officials and that kind of thing. But we need to recognize that there are some of those consequences. But our task is to give a Romans 12 response that we're talking about today. And then the third aspect of a biblical response is do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil <clears throat> with good. I think when we talk about this idea of do not be overcome by evil, there's, there's two different meanings here. One is that we should not be overcome by the evil that is done to us. You see, as I mentioned before, I, I realize that some of the evil that is done to us is extremely painful. It cuts deep. It leaves deep scars and wounds that are hard to heal. 
But God is in control. And he can take those wounds and that brokenness and he can heal. And so we've got to make sure that we, when we're going through those times and those struggles, that we give it to God. You see, some of us in this room today have been holding on to some pain and some, some bitterness and some wounds for years and years and years. Today's the day to turn loose of it, to give it to God and allow Him to bring the healing that needs to take place. And that will begin with forgiveness. To bless those who've hurt us, who've wounded us. The second aspect there is that we must not allow ourselves to be overcome by our own evil responses. You see, what's necessary in both of these cases is that the evil must be overcome. We can be either overwhelmed by the evil that's coming upon us, or we can ultimately be overwhelmed by our evil responses should we get caught up into that. Because once we begin to respond in that way, we move further and further and further from God. But keep in mind, in, e- in both cases, it is the evil that must be overcome. Scripture is pretty clear that our enemy is not flesh and blood. You know... We want to make sure that that person pays. He's not our enemy. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. So we need to overcome the evil. And that can only be accomplished with good. So what's the application for us today? I want us today to begin the process of blessing and forgiving by asking yourself three questions. Who in your life do you need to forgive? Well, for some of you, there may not be anybody. But for many of us in this room today, there are some people we need to forgive. Maybe a coworker, Maybe a mom or dad. Or another family member. Maybe a spouse. Maybe an ex-spouse. It may be someone of a different color just because they're of a different color. It may be someone of a different persuasion simply because they're of a different persuasion. We have all types of bias and prejudices not based on the person or the individual but by what they believe. Now, I'm in no way saying that we can we, uh, you know, compromise our belief in a biblical world system. But we're to love our enemy. You know, sometimes I'm guilty. I get frustrated with the, with the element out there that says just because you believe this way, you're a hater. And you're, you participate in hate speech. When the reality of it is, is that we can disagree with someone's lifestyle and still love the individual. But who in your life do you need to forgive today? This is serious, folks. 
Because the pain and the broken relationships are going to continue until you choose to forgive. And go through the full process so that they become forgiven. Second question you ask yourself is, what stage of the forgiveness process are you in? Maybe you're already, you know (laughs) that there's someone you need to forgive. But maybe you've not chosen to forgive them yet. Maybe you're in that forgiving stage. Maybe you have some in your past that you have forgiven. But identify where you are and what you need to do to move forward. And then, what lie have you believed about how forgiveness works that has held you captive? Now, what do you mean by that? Well, some people think, well, I said I forgive them. And that's all that's necessary. That's all I have to do. That's not enough, folks. You've got to truly pray for them and, and, and work until God brings the emotions in line with that decision. And you truly desire to see God blessing them in a special way. If you can't say that you really want God to bless them, you've never forgiven them. Maybe the lie is that, well, I didn't deserve that. I have no reason to forgive them. Doesn't matter if you deserved it or not. If you've been wounded, you need to forgive them. Because the person that's going to heal the most is you. The second question is, decide how you will bless your enemy this week. Not next week, not next month. Not next year, but how are you going to bless your enemy this week? Not when we say enemy, it could be someone that that you're in the process of forgiving. Maybe someone that there's always tension in the relationship, whatever it is. But how are you going to bless them this week? And then the third question is, persevere until the healing comes in your life and in others. Don't give up. It's a process. It takes time. And depending on how deep the wound is, it can take significant time. But persevere because God is faithful and he will bring healing. Let me close with this poem. It's a poem entitled The Cold Within by James Patrick Kinney. It goes like this. Six humans trapped by happenstance in dark and bitter cold. Each one possessed a stick of wood, or so the story's told. Their dying fire in need of logs, the first woman held hers back. For on the faces around the fire, she noticed one was black. The next man, looking across the way, saw, not, saw one not of his church, and couldn't bring himself to give the fire his stick of birch. The third one sat in tattered clothes. He gave his coat a hitch. Why should his log be put to use to warm the idle rich? The rich man just sat back and thought of the wealth he had in store and how to keep what he had earned from the lazy, shiftless poor. The black man's face bespoke revenge as the fire passed from sight, for all he saw in the stick of wood was a chance to spite the white. The last man of this forlorn group did not accept for gain, 
Giving only to those who gave was how he played the game. The log held tight in death still hands was proof of human sin. They didn't die from the cold without. They died from the cold within. You see, until we learn to supernaturally respond to evil, till we overcome the the prejudices and the hatreds that we have, we're ultimately going to die from the cold within. In our relationship with God, in our relationship with each other, in our relationship with our loved ones and our spouses, we got to learn to forgive and unconditionally love and supernaturally respond to evil with good.